Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Good morning. Good morning. And welcome to Saturday Mornings with Joy Keys. I'm your host, Joy Keys, and I want to thank you so much for tuning in. You can follow me on Twitter at Joy Keys. Also, check me out on Facebook, Saturday Mornings with Joy Keys. And on Instagram, Saturdays with Joy Keys. Thank you so much for all your support. If you guys are missing a show or you think you missed the beginning or something, you can always catch them on Stitcher, Spotify, iTunes, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, Google, as well as here at Blog Talk Radio. So you'll never miss a show. And just look up Saturday mornings with Joy Tees. You can also make donations through PayPal, Saturdays uh, with Joy Tees. And um, hopefully, you know, I hope that you're sharing them with friends and family. This month is uh, Glaucoma Awareness Month, and I have only done one other show on glaucoma. And I was like, when was that? I said, I need to do another one because, you know, people forget, and there are new people, new listeners, and they need to find out what's going on with glaucoma. Well, I have two experts, like serious experts at the high end. And isn't it wonderful? They're both African-American women. Uh, well, African, one of them, and I, I, I believe she's African, unless she's married to African, I'll find out. Dr. Constance Okiji uh, received her undergraduate and medical degrees from Yale and trained in ophthalmology at the Wilmer uh, Eye Institute of Johns Hopkins. Um, she completed her glaucoma fellowship, trained as a head research fellow at the prestigious Baston Palmer Eye Institute of the University of Miami. Good morning, Dr. Okiji. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for joining the show. Um, you became a clinician. I just want to let them know also a clinician scientist under the NIH K-12 grant at the Shea Eye Institute of the University of Pennsylvania here in Philadelphia. Woo-hoo. I just had to say that because I'm here in Philadelphia. So. <laughs> oh, and my other guest who's also an expert as well, Dr. Leslie Jones is an associate professor in the College of Medicine and serves as the residency program director and director of glaucoma services in the department. She's at the Howard University Hospital. She completed her medical medical degree in 1996 and ophthalmology residency in 2000 at Howard, and she followed a fellowship in glaucoma at Will's Eye. And where is Will's Eye? Here in Philadelphia, another place, wonderful. I went to Will's Eye as a kid. I remember, um, I don't know, which building did you go to, Dr. Jones? Was it on Spring Garden Street or was it on the uh, Chestnut Street, uh, uh, Will's Eye? Do you remember? Yes, between Walnut, yes. Okay, so you were downtown. Yes, Mm mm-hmm. Good morning, good morning. Okay, yes, downtown uh, between Walnut and Chestnut, yes. And um, Shay Eye is up in uh, West Philadelphia, for people who may not be familiar, the West Philadelphia location connected to the University of Pennsylvania. And I've also been to Shay Eye to get my eyes checked out. I used to get my eyes checked out once a year. Um, so, so this is why we're here. Like, what do you need to do and, and why is glaucoma important? I'm going to start off with Dr. Jones. 
should I be going to the doctor once a year? Should people go more, less? What are, what are the guidelines? Certainly. So, you know, so from birth to adulthood, uh, the, generally a pediatrician does an ice screening exam on young folks and identifies if there's any issues to go on to see a pediatric ophthalmologist. Uh, in uh, middle years, teenage years, if people are having difficulties, say, seeing the board or focusing on things up close, then it's important to make sure that they get an exam. Um, that pretty much holds for your 20s and 30s. But after 40, it's very important to get an annual exam, especially if you have a family history of glaucoma. And uh, if you're having any visual difficulties at all, because certain things go on as we age that we may not be aware of, but an ophthalmologist can make sure that your uh, eyes are healthy, your overall health is good, and you're able to function well. Now, Dr. Okiki, let me ask you this. I, I should have asked Leslie, Dr. Jones, this as well. Why did you get into glaucoma? I mean, there's so many other areas of research, what, what was that drew you to glaucoma? Actually, I, uh, I got into glaucoma. Very... Oh, I'm sorry. Oh. Go ahead. Go ahead, Dr. Jones. Oh, so, so she's going to answer first. Okay, oh, I, yeah, I, sure, I can. I thought uh, you had called me. And so um, I'm interested to hear Connie's journey, too, because it's slightly different, but it has led us to similar points. So when I was a resident in ophthalmology, and I can tell you I was really inspired by a mentor, Janine Austin Clayton. I did research in medical school at the National Eye Institute, and she was a fellow there, and she basically inspired me to pursue ophthalmology. I was really doing originally immunology research. So when I went into residency, in D.C., I was seeing so many patients, African-Americans, who didn't know they have a visual problem. Glaucoma is a silent thief of vision, right? Usually the doctor picks it up. By the time the patient knows they have a visual issue, it can be far along. So I was seeing this and really seeing that there was a need, and, and that's truly what inspired me to go into glaucoma. And, and Connie, I'd love to hear your journey. Yeah, so my journey actually started with research when I was in college. Um, prior to, uh, I went to college for, at Yale, and you, in order to get a bachelor of science degree, you had to do some research with a, one of the, um, uh, the doctors there. And so I had previously done research before that in the area of neurobiology and had a really great experience. And also prior to that, I had read a book about the different types of medical professions, and somehow ophthalmology was one of several that stood out to me because it was very well-rounded in terms of being able to um, have outpatient care with all different types of ages of people, and then also surgical specialty because I, um, I liked the idea of that, and also it was very prestigious, but I also wanted to have a family and the fact that it was something that, um, you know, was mostly um, outpatient, um, not, you know, daily kind of work as opposed to overnight. 
I thought that that was a, you know, a possible good profession for me. So coupling that idea about ophthalmology and neurobiology, I looked in the, a, a program of different doctors who were doing research, and the one that was in the neurobiology section under ophthalmology was one doctor called Dr. Joseph Caprioli, listed under for glaucoma, which is disease of the optic nerve. So I got in touch with him. I started to do um, research with him, and um, he really took me under his wing, and I just really got excited about the area of glaucoma. And again, like Dr. Jones was saying, I found that it was an, um, a disease that um, affected a number of people, but uh, also a number of people of color. And it was something that had a lot to do a lot with education because you have to be educated and made aware of this disease so that you can know about it to do something uh, proactive to help preserve your vision. And so um, I kept uh, glaucoma specifically just kept with me. Even through uh, residency, I thought about other different specialties, but I just kept uh, coming back to glaucoma. And so I'm very excited about this field. I feel very called to um, be someone who is a glaucoma specialist, but also an advocate for patients because I do believe that um, knowledge is power and we can allow our patients to know more about this disease, we can help preserve their vision. Well, I just want to also give a shout out to the places that got you here and connected me to you, the National Institute of Health, National Eye Institute that connected me with Dr. Jones, and uh, then over at Prevent Blindness Organizations, a nonprofit helping people with different eye issues, that connected me with Dr. Okiki. Thank you guys very much. Prevent Blindness is a preventblindness.org. So again, that's a nonprofit. And they have tons of information there about different eye issues and support um, and also support for um, uh, people like myself who are looking for a specialist. So you mentioned that this is an optic nerve issue, Dr. Okiki. Could you tell us a little bit more about glaucoma because I was reading that there are like a couple different types of glaucoma like chronic open angle and normal tension and acute so the, so can you tell us just like what's the is there like a general glaucoma or everybody's uh, has to be uh, analyzed differently yeah glaucoma is a is a somewhat of a complex um, eye condition or disease because um, it's multifactorial meaning that there are many different factors that can play a role um, in causing glaucoma, but they all do the same thing to the optic nerve, which is damage it. And the optic nerve is like your connection between your eye and your brain. And when we're born, we're born with a certain amount of optic nerve tissue. Um, as we age, some of that optic nerve tissue will naturally die off, and that's okay because it does so in a very slow fashion. But in glaucoma, the amount of damage that happens and the amount of uh, loss of that optic nerve tissue starts to happen much more quickly. And if you lose enough of it, um, it can start to equal loss of vision. And unfortunately, loss of vision is permanent. And if left untreated, it can lead someone to uh, become legally blind or lose all vision, all sight, all light. And so that's why it's so important for people to be aware of this disease because as it causes damage to the optic nerve, it cannot be reversed. So finding out early or being detected early is the key in order to prevent um, any more damage to the remaining optic nerve tissue. Now, Dr. Jones, who's at risk for this? You guys um, both talked about you know, educating the African-American community and things of that nature. Are, are we specifically, are other ethnic groups um, more or less prone to getting glaucoma? 
Uh, well, glaucoma is the leading cause of irreversible blindness, and any human can develop glaucoma. It's generally a disease of maturity, meaning the risk increases with age. And as uh, Dr. KK said, it's a process where the nerve, it's a, it's a faster pro- aging, basically, of the uh, optic nerve. So essentially, everyone is at risk. It causes blindness in all ethnicities. Uh, the issue in one of our leading or maybe two of our leading studies on what's called the epidemiology of the disease, you know, the prevalence, how many people in a given population have it. Well, there was a Baltimore Eye Survey, and in that survey, uh, all ethnicities in the locale, locality were tested, and African Americans had glaucoma four to six times the rate of the, the white patients in the study. Uh, there's also been a study in California, the Latino Eye uh, Study, and that showed an increased peep, uh, prevalence of glaucoma in the uh, Latinx ethnicity. So, uh, you know, everyone can get glaucoma, but certain populations show a higher risk for it. Dr. Okiki, how do you guys diagnose that? What instruments do you use? What tests are given to diagnose um, someone um, showing that they have glaucoma? So there are several different tools that we use in order to decide if someone has glaucoma. Uh, Someone can go to um, uh, a doctor, let's say an optometrist, and be screened for glaucoma where they are evaluated with looking at their, uh, checking their eye pressure, um, uh, looking at the back of their eye to look at their optic nerve, um, and also doing other tests like visual field. So um, for like a thorough screening uh, with uh, typically more so with an ophthalmologist, um, we will dilate the eye. Well, let me start at the beginning. We will evaluate certain parameters um, of the eye that allow us to assess how much risk there is for the patient. So that includes looking at their vision, their visual acuity, we call it, um, testing them to find out what their pressure is because Elevated pressure is a, uh, is a uh, number one risk factor for developing glaucoma um, because of its damaged pressure to, to cause uh, weakening of the optic nerve. So we look at their, um, their pressure. We also assess um, certain parameters like the thickness of their cornea. Um, we found that that can also, if it's thin, um, it can be a risk factor for glaucoma. We will uh, importantly look at the um, uh, certain areas of their eye that we call the angle. These are structures that allow us to define if the patient has an open angle glaucoma, like you mentioned before, or a narrow angle glaucoma, or other different types of um, glaucoma we can assess by looking at that that structure. Uh, We Mm -hmm. use certain special lens to do that. Um, and then also, the, the most important is to looking at the optic nerve to evaluate the characteristics of the optic nerve because there are certain ones that allow us to um, tell if someone has glaucoma. But then there are some other um, tests, uh, visual field. Uh, this is a test that about allows us to see how well they're seeing in their side vision. Um, Glaucoma, when we mentioned that um, it can cause blindness, it typically starts in what we call your side vision or peripheral vision and then kind of mm, works its okay. way in. 
that's part of the reason why it's so sneaky because we are focused on what's straight ahead of us. We're not really paying attention to what's to the side. And so damage can be occurring, but we're not really noticing that it's happening because it's on the side. Until it gets to the point where it starts getting close to the center, we won't actually physically be able to say we notice it. So mm-hmm. that visual field test is very important. Um, and then we have other um, diagnostic tests that help us to evaluate that optic nerve, the structure of the optic nerve. So there's several tests. There's not just one that says, okay, um, you know, you have glaucoma. Uh, we use a number of different tests that help us to not only diagnose, but then also to monitor a patient. So if someone has glaucoma, we then have to start treatment and then assess that it's stable versus it's getting worse. And all these mm-hmm. tests are used in order to help us determine that. So, Dr. Jones, once you actually find out or find out that someone has glaucoma, what do you tell the person and, and what are the next steps that someone has to take? Well, I usually tell the person that, you know, we're going to become friends because glaucoma is a disease you have to perform surveillance, watch a patient over time. I think Dr. Okeke outlined uh, what we do very well. There's some really excellent new technologies, uh, one called an OCT, that a lot of glaucoma specialists use to measure the tissue around the nerve and to see if a patient is losing tissue over time, the visual fields to see if the patient's vision is changing over time. And we watch that, and we generally, I tell patients, you know, in the beginning, I'm going to need to see you at least four times a year every three months to make sure that, you know, to to watch how you're doing. And then there's the therapies we offer. So often, often I'll offer a laser called an SLT that puts light energy in the drainage angle Dr. OKK described to help it filter fluid better, and so lowering the fluid pressure of the eye. There are lots of drop, eye drop medications that are offered to lower pressure. And if you respond well to one set type of drop, it's even available in an injectable form. So you inject some of the medicine in the front of the eye, and and that's really good for people that have difficulty putting drops in the eye. You know, there are diseases like Parkinson's that there's a tremor in your hand or many other reasons people might have problems with eye drops. And then there are a lot of surgeries we perform to lower pressure in the eye. So I tell them about all those things in the briefly at the beginning so they know they're in for a long haul, but they also know there are lots of options to help us lower pressure, the main thing that's known to protect the optic nerve. Now, Dr. Otiki, I saw that you did a pioneered a microinvasive glaucoma surgery at Virginia Eye Consultants. Um, is that something you're still using, or are there are more advanced um, things being used now that um, Dr. Jones is speaking about? Yeah, so the, the term um, microinvasive glaucoma surgery, um, or we, we coin it as MIGS, this is a branch of incisional types of surgeries uh, or treatments for glaucoma. There's no, uh, right now there's no one um, kind of micro and uh, MIGS 
procedure because there has been an explosion over the last decade of multiple different uh, devices with different mechanisms of action that help to lower eye pressure. Now, the reason for um, the MIGS type of procedures, why it kind of became about, is because we have traditional glaucoma surgeries that truly do help to lower the eye pressure well, but sometimes they also come along with some potential complications and some risks that can actually be somewhat vision-threatening. And because of this, our whole goal is to try to preserve vision, not in any way take it away. So we've been trying to come up with different types of um, options for patients that do help to lower the eye pressure well, especially when drops or laser treatments may not be working, um, but to also do it in a safe way. And that's what the MIGS procedures do. Now, I was a very early adopter of these types of procedures, and yes, um, uh, started out with the first, uh, one of the first uh, MIGS procedures uh, over a decade ago. Um, but since then, I've adopted all the other times that's available MIGS procedures, and I use them, um, you know, uh, it depends on the patient. What's nice about them is that it does allow us to give these opportunities to treat patients in an effective but safer way, um, but it allows me um, to tailor um, my treatment based on the person's individual eye. Some patients might do well with one procedure versus another, and so as I assess the patient, I can determine which one I think will do best. Dr. Um, Jones, you mentioned something about an optometrist, I believe, but you guys are both ophthalmologists. Can you just tell us the difference? Some people may not be aware what the difference is. Right. Well, the educational path is different. So optometrists uh, don't necessarily have to finish college. They need at least three years of undergraduate uh, study. They then go on to optometry school, which is a four-year uh, planned curriculum where they do study visual functioning of the eye and eye diseases. They then uh, graduate, and they can for an exam, the optometric board, and then uh, apply to for a license to practice. Um, so, and uh, basically, they then become optometric doctors. Uh, ophthalmologists are surgeons, and ophthalmologists finish four, degree, four years of undergraduate study. They go on to four years of medical school, where they have training in uh, all the different areas of medicine and surgery. They graduate medical school, and during it, they taught, they pass two licensing exams and a third one after one year of residency. But ophthalmology residency is a full four years, and in that time, you get supervised by Folks like me who teach residents and medical students, residency program directors and faculty of medical schools, you get a graduated supervised experience and learning all these different surgeries. So um, the ophthalmologist is a physician trained in all the diseases of the uh, body and can actually diagnose some of the systemic, what we say, the overall body diseases like diabetes and high blood pressure by what they see in the eye. 
So the difference wow. in the training is is really uh, marks what an optometrist does versus an ophthalmologist. Yes, you guys have definitely put in the work uh, to get to where you are. Um, well, one other one other point that that Leslie uh, outlined so beautifully. She mm-hmm. also didn't mention that to be a glaucoma specialist and other different specialties in ophthalmology, we do additional training. So there's an additional year of glaucoma fellowship training that both Leslie and I did, like you mentioned, Leslie at Wills and myself at Wilmer. Um, I'm sorry, um, Leslie did her, her at Wills and I did my um, um, fellowship at Bascom Palmer. Uh, but we do another additional year with more surgical training and more um, ob- um, observation by um, attendings who are uh, trained uh, specialists as well. And in some fields of um, ophthalmology, like retina specialists, their fellowship training is two years. And so mm. it's an extensive um, difference between the two um, um, fields of, uh, of op- um, ophthalmic practice um, between optometrists and ophthalmologists. Okay. Now, you have a book out. Yes, and actually, ophthalmologist. Go ahead. You wanted to say something, Dr. Jill? Oh, I was just, uh, I did leave out that ophthalmologists also become board certified. They take a written and an oral board, and they do continuing medical education and, and sort of a maintenance of this certification throughout their career. Yes, a lot of doctors have to do that, and licensed like myself, I'm a licensed social worker, so I have to do training. If I don't, then I can lose my license. So that's, I think, a, you can have confidence that this person knows what they're doing if they have this license, um, because they do have to keep maintaining their knowledge. But I wanted to mention Dr. Okiki's um, book, The Building Block, and I don't know if I'm pronouncing this right, trabectome surgery, is that how you say it? Yeah, that's correct. That's, so what that, made you write a book, and, and what's inside about that? What's, what, what, what is in there? Can you share with us what's a, a little bit? Oh, yeah, certainly. Um, that book was, uh, came about because I was so excited about MIG surgery. Um, I, like I mentioned, I was an early adopter of um, MIG surgery, and the first procedure that I did was the trabectome. And when I wrote the book or when I decided to write the book, I just felt like I wanted other doctors um, and other, um, uh, other providers to know about this wonderful technology that I was, I was performing for my patients and getting really good outcomes. And because I was doing these types of surgeries, I was able to avoid some of our more traditional glaucoma surgeries, like I mentioned before, that sometimes have increased risk or potential complications associated with them. And so it was really a labor of love because it took me um, several years to complete the book. Um, And I remember um, during that time, my father passed away and I was determined to finish it. And I dedicated the book to him because um, I knew that he would want me to, um, you know, he was uh, an emergency room physician and very much uh, a factor to why I became a, a doctor. Um, and I knew he would want me to finish it. And so the book is about MIG's um, um, procedures. It, it actually, uh, because I wrote it after uh, starting to do, uh, during a time when I started to do other MIG's procedures and I realized there was a lot of uh, similarity amongst them, um, it's a kind of a primer to other uh, surgeons to help them 
to know how to select good patients for these types of procedures, how to do them, the steps of the procedures, um, how to manage them afterwards, um, different clinical scenarios to help them, again, to decipher who are good patients as well as who are poor, poor candidates. Um, and then also um, just tying in some of the other procedures that are actively being done and how um, there's some similarities. Um, so I, I was really proud of that book because um, it took me some time to kind of um, figure out how to organize it, and it's helped in terms of how I, how I teach now because I do a lot of teaching on different um, MIGS procedures. It um, helps me to kind of categorize and and teach well in a systematic way. And so um, I was really um, proud of that book. Wow, that sounds awesome. And you guys have been great today. Uh, can you believe it or not, we're actually down to our time. But I hope that people have learned a lot uh, from both of you, Dr. Leslie Jones. Thank you so much for coming on and, and sharing your knowledge. And also Dr. Constance Otiki, thank you for coming on and sharing your knowledge. I just want to tell the people that you can prevent blindness organization is preventblindness.org, and they have a great um, storehouse of information there. I would say they were more uh, focused with the patient, and the National Eye Institute is a leader in vision research, so there is a lot of information there for, I would say, provider types, grants, grants and trainings of that nature. So you can check them out at nei.nih.gov. Thank you so much, ladies, for, for coming on this morning. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you for All having me. All right, you guys me. have a great weekend. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Again, don't wait to get your eyes checked out. Don't ignore symptoms. One of the things they mentioned was your side, your peripheral vision going first, and we're, we're ignoring that because we're looking ahead. So pay attention to those, those things that are happening. But stay tuned. I'm going to be speaking with Haitian author Miriam Chansey about her book, uh, What Storm, What Thunder. So you can call in if you want or just listen on your computer. The call-in number is 516-387-1745. But you guys have a great weekend. If I don't see you, then uh, check me out next week. Talk to you later. With the Lucky Land Plus, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. <laughs> 